Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Hey everyone, konnichiwa. Nikki Young here, back with my new true crime podcast, Serial Napper. I have been completely addicted to Canadian true crime lately. We have so many cases out there that deserve the same kind of attention as the bigger American cases, but they seem to fall through the cracks of media attention. Overall, Canada is an incredibly safe country. Our stats on things like crime, violence, and especially murder are typically lower than the most of the world. But it seems like when we do have incidents happen, they tend to be particularly tragic. Tonight's case is no exception. If you're from the East Coast or the Ottawa Valley, you've likely heard of this case. And I'd like to give a special shout out to Kaylee. Um, She sent me a message last week and recommended this case, and um, I'm stoked to be talking about it. Tonight, we're talking about the murder of Loretta Saunders, whose body was found in a wooded area off a New Brunswick highway two weeks after she disappeared from her Halifax apartment in February of 2014. The reason she was murdered will break your heart, but... We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, so let's go back to the beginning. Loretta Saunders was born on August 25th, 1987, in Happy Valley, Goose Bay, Canada. She was just a year older than myself. She was one of eight kids, growing up in a very close-knit family. She was incredibly smart, happy, and just an all-around beautiful little girl. That's not to say she always had it easy. She did have a bit of a troubled past. She dropped out of high school in ninth grade, moved to Montreal, and had problems with drugs and alcohol while homeless. But here's the good news. She was able to turn her life around through substance abuse treatment, and then she moved back home to finish her education. She completely turned her life around, and she had so much to look forward to. At 26 years old, she had been studying sociology and criminology at St. Mary's University in Halifax. Being a proud Indigenous woman of Inuk descent herself, she was writing her theses on missing and murdered Indigenous women in Canada. Little did she know, she would later become one of these women. Now, she had a long-term boyfriend... His name is Yeltsin Sirkulte, and I hope I'm saying it correctly, 
who she had dated for the past two and a half years, and the pair recently found out that they were expecting before her disappearance. Loretta excelled in school, and she loved being able to represent Indigenous women. Here's a quote from her boyfriend. She was just so passionate about this topic and this whole school thing. She was so happy from the feedback she got from her professors. That was really, really important to her. She always wanted to go to law school. She was the most hardworking person I had ever seen. It was mind-blowing. Loretta was trying to save up a little bit of money while in school, so she decided to sublet her apartment and move in with her boyfriend. She placed an ad on Kijiji for a roommate. Now, if you're not familiar with Kijiji, it's basically a popular online classified website in Canada. It had a couple who responded to her ad, 25-year-old Blake Leggett and 28-year-old Victoria Hanaberry. It was shortly after the pair moved in that they claimed they were having financial difficulties. They were late with the rent, which was $430 a month, and the situation between Loretta and the couple became a little bit tense. She had asked for the rent several times, but each time the couple had a new excuse as to why they couldn't pay. At the time of her disappearance, Loretta was getting to her wit's end, upset with the two for not paying their rent. She was always on time with paying her own rent and was an extremely responsible person, so it was frustrating for her that there were problems with them paying right off the bat, and she was the one who was on the hook with her landlord. On February 13th, 2014, Loretta had decided that she would attempt to collect rent one final time, and if they didn't have it, she would have to evict them. She got in her blue Toyota Silica, leaving from her boyfriend's apartment, and headed over to the sublet apartment on Cowie Hill Road. She wanted to get her rent Thursday and said if they didn't have it, she'll tell them that they have to leave. When she got there, they weren't home. She phoned them, apparently, and told them they had to leave, said her brother Edmund Saunders. Video surveillance from her boyfriend's place shows her leaving the apartment on February 13th alone. It didn't appear at the time that anyone was following her. That was the last time she was seen alive on that video footage. Loretta's boyfriend, Yeltsin, didn't see or hear from her for the rest of the day or evening, but the next day, on February 14th, Valentine's Day, he received a strange text message from her cell phone number. The message read, I'm so stressed that I can't even remember my own mother's maiden name. Her boyfriend knew that that wasn't possible for her to forget her own mother's maiden name. It didn't make any sense. And why was she all of a sudden so stressed out? Loretta's phone also briefly made contact on February 14th with her sister Delilah around 1 p.m. Delilah said later, the conversation was suspiciously short. After not hearing from Loretta again, her family reported her missing on February 17th, and a wide search organized by her family began. Family friends started a fundraising campaign online to help bring Loretta's five brothers and parents from Newfoundland to Nova Scotia to help in the search. It was an all-hands-on-deck situation. 
Loretta was loved, cared for, missed, and they wanted to find her quickly. Her sister Delilah, who lived across the country in British Columbia, flew to Halifax on February 18th to spearhead a social media campaign to help find her sister. She hung posters of Loretta's photos around the city, encouraging people to use the hashtag FindLoretta. Loretta, being fair-skinned, was initially identified as white by investigators. Though she was blonde in most pictures that you'll find online of her, it was actually just dyed blonde hair and she was a natural brunette. According to her mother, Miriam, this made a difference in the way they treated her family. She talks about how they experienced firsthand white past privilege. That's what she calls it. This is when a First Nations person or other non-Caucasian person is treated differently because they are thought to be white. Miriam said, I saw how they played it out after she went missing and was found murdered. When Loretta first went missing, she was listed as white. Every time Miriam called police for information, she was transferred to an investigator and given updates. Then it was released that Loretta was Inuk, and suddenly Miriam had to deal with what she called middlemen, and she couldn't get any answers herself. I had to curse at them, and my father would be rolling in his grave. He didn't like me cursing, she said. Reading this actually broke my heart into a million pieces. I can only imagine the struggle. I mean, I, I can't understand the struggle, but I can only imagine. As someone of European descent, I'm always very much aware of my white privilege, and I can only imagine how a situation like this would make her family feel. From there, things were about to go from really bad and her being, you know, just missing to, to worse. The day after Loretta was reported missing, her car was found near Windsor, Ontario, and can you guess who had it? Blake Leggett and Victoria Henneberry, the couple who had been subletting her place. The Toyota Celica was parked outside a home where the pair was staying. The couple also had her ID, her bank card, and her cell phone. They were promptly arrested on charges of possession of stolen goods and fraud and interviewed in relation to the disappearance of Loretto because she was still nowhere to be found. Through their interviews, the police learned information that led them to believe the case was no longer about a missing woman, but a homicide. It was now a recovery. I love to travel. From the bustling city of Tokyo to the beaches of Thailand, there's nothing I enjoy more than getting the chance to see the world and experience different cultures firsthand. But the language barrier, it can be an issue. Sure, you can use an app on your phone, but things often get lost in translation. I truly believe that learning at least some of the language of the land that you're visiting is the first step to ensuring a smooth and meaningful experience. That's why I'm excited about Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language that you want to learn. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Japanese, Spanish, German, Korean, Italian, and more. 
Learning a new language can be tough, especially with all of the different nuances. But Rosetta Stone is designed to help you speak like a local, so you'll feel confident in what you're saying. I don't know how many times I've been traveling to a new country and struggled to get my point across just because I wasn't properly pronouncing something that I thought I knew, which is why I love Rosetta Stone's built-in true accent feature, which helps you master your accent. They also have convenient desktop and app options so you can learn on the go. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership includes all 25 languages, so once you're finished learning one language, you can start on another. Whether you're an avid traveler like me or just want to impress your friends with a new skill, it's a steal of a deal at 50% off. That's right. 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Loretta's body was found on February 26th at about 4.30 p.m. in the wide median of the four-lane Route 2 of the Trans-Canada Highway, just west of Salisbury, New Brunswick. It was 12 days after her family last heard from her on Valentine's Day. Now, I want you to picture this. To drive from Halifax to Harrow, Ontario, where police found her car and arrested Victoria and Blake, the usual route would be to link with the Trans-Canada Highway near True, Nova Scotia. Then, stay on the Trans-Canada Highway heading northwest towards Moncton. It's about a three-hour drive to where Miss Saunders' body was found. It's a 21-hour drive to Harrow where the car was found. The police said that the body had not been found by a passerby, which leads me to believe that either Victoria or Blake gave them directions where she could be found. It's pretty clear that they dumped her on the side of the highway on their way from Halifax, Nova Scotia to Ontario. Now, it's Canada, it's February, it's cold, and it snowed a lot. The area her body was found in had actually received 30 centimeters of snow the day that she went missing. And as time passed, they received another 30 centimeters, which means her body would have been buried and hid from view of anyone driving by. When police worked to unbury her from the snow, her remains were found in a hockey bag that the pair had just dumped on the side of the road. Now, I have the agreed statements of facts from Victoria Henneberry on what happened the day that Loretta was killed, and I'm going to read it because this is basically what we know or what the perpetrators say happened the day that she disappeared. It is pretty disturbing that a person could do this to another individual. On February 13th, 2014, at approximately 11 a.m., Loretta Saunders went to her apartment on Cowie Hill Road to collect rent from Blake Leggett and Victoria Henneberry. Miss Saunders sat on the couch in the living room area while waiting for her rent. 
Mr. Leggett and Miss Hanaberry did not have the money. Miss Hanaberry became aware that Mr. Leggett wanted to kill Miss Saunders. Miss Hanaberry lied to Miss Saunders and said she had lost her bank cards. Miss Hanaberry told Miss Saunders she needed to call the bank, keeping Miss Saunders there. Mr. Leggett came up behind Miss Saunders, grabbed her by the throat, and choked her. Miss Saunders struggled, and the two ended up on the floor in the adjacent dining room. Mr. Leggett tried to strangle or suffocate Miss Saunders with a plastic bag, but Miss Saunders was able to tear the bag. Mr. Leggett placed three different plastic bags over her head, but she managed to tear through each. Miss Hanaberry remained during the struggle. Mr. Leggett then hit Miss Saunders' head on the floor twice, and she stopped moving. He then wrapped her head in saran wrap. He placed her in a hockey bag belonging to Miss Hanaberry and tidied up. He and Miss Hanaberry left the apartment to return a computer to a store to get some cash, leaving Miss Saunders' body in the apartment. Then they returned to the apartment. Mr. Leggett carried Miss Saunders in the hockey bag onto the elevator and out the front door, placing Miss Saunders in the trunk of Miss Saunders' car. Miss Hanaberry and Mr. Leggett packed some belongings into the car and left Halifax, stopping along the way to purchase food and other supplies. These purchases were made with Miss Saunders' bank card. During the trip, Miss Hanaberry lied to the police about her whereabouts. She also used Miss Saunders' phone and texted Yeltsin, pretending to be Miss Saunders. Remember, Yeltsin is the boyfriend. When Mr. Leggett and Miss Hanaberry reached Salisbury, New Brunswick, they stopped on the side of the highway and left Miss Saunders' body still in the hockey bag in a treed area in the median. It was snowing at the time. Mr. Leggett and Miss Hanaberry continued on to Harrow, Ontario, where they stayed with a friend. They were arrested there on February 18th in Miss Saunders' car with her ID, phone, and bank card. One of the key things that I walk away with after hearing this, this statement is she fought. She put up a fight. She absolutely fought for her life. Blake Leggett and Victoria Hanaberry were charged with murder. Both entered guilty pleas to first-degree and second-degree murder, respectively. So Blake Leggett, he put in a guilty plea to first-degree murder, and Victoria Hanaberry put in a plea of guilty to second-degree murder. Because of their pleas, their guilty pleas, no evidence needed to be submitted to the court. Each individual submitted their own agreed statements of facts. That's the one that I read, and they're exactly the same. And I can say that this is likely one of the best things either of them have ever done in their entire lives. To spare her family of all of the gory, disgusting evidence, it's the least that they could do. Not that I am applauding them by any means. They are human trash, but... I'm glad at least it went down this way. Both of them received a life sentence. Blake must serve 25 years before he can apply for parole, which is the mandatory sentence for first-degree murder. 
The judge told Victoria that she must serve 10 years before she can apply for parole. Now, earlier this year, there was a little bit of controversy involving Victoria Henneberry. It was discovered that she was granted temporary absence from prison to attend an Indigenous women's sharing and drumming circle. Yeah, take a second. Think about what I just said. I can't believe it. Okay. On February 20th, Henneberry was granted escorted access to a sharing and drumming circle and asked for 24 of the sessions over the next 12 months for her own personal healing. This is the second time that she applied to access Indigenous healing services. Her initial request, I remember this being in the news, was denied because of her murder conviction. And the center's clientele are Indigenous women and children. The organization is active in supporting the families of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Victoria was involved in the murder of an Indigenous woman. I mean... It makes sense that they wouldn't want her there. Loretta's father spoke out on the matter. He said, There's no justice being done. There's no closure, that's for sure. It makes us feel now like we're up against the parole board, the justice system, and we're just left out in the cold. I honestly cannot comprehend how this would even be allowed. It is an absolute slap in the face for Loretta and her family. Even if Victoria is remorseful, it's some kind of twisted world where a murderer of a proud Indigenous woman who was very vocal about the problematic system involving missing and murdered Indigenous women in Canada gets to go to a healing circle organized by activists who support the families of missing and murdered Indigenous women. It doesn't make any sense. Let me know what you think on my Facebook. Maybe I'm just not getting it and you need to enlighten me. Now, I have a few facts about Aboriginal women and girls in Canada before we end tonight's episode. And honestly, I think this is probably the most important part of the episode. There are currently... 582 known cases of missing or murdered Aboriginal women in Canada. The United Nations has called upon the Canadian government to take action on this issue without success. An Aboriginal woman is more than eight times more likely to be killed by her intimate partner than a non-Aboriginal woman. Aboriginal women are stalked twice as often as other women. 36% of all Aboriginal women live in poverty that is much higher than the average of 9% of all Canadians. Please do your research. Get involved. Be a supporter. Be a helper. Be a cheerleader. Even if you're not Indigenous yourself, these stats need to be heard and these victims need a voice. Now, that's where I'm going to end things tonight. It's kind of a heavy case. I mean, it's incredibly heartbreaking. Our victim was killed over $430 in the most brutal way that a person can be killed. And then dumped on the side of the highway like a piece of trash. We're talking about $430. It's disgusting. 
please keep Loretta's family in your thoughts. And I'm going to be watching this unfold, the whole thing with Victoria What's-Her-Tits. Um, and as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, if you like this episode or this series, I would super appreciate any reviews you provide on whatever podcasting app you're listening to. I am so thankful for your support. I started this podcast really just to give a voice to victims. I think it's important that we hear what happened. We learn from mistakes that have happened, especially in the justice system. And we keep remembering and we keep them at the forefront where they should be. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Serial Napper. That's S-E-R-I-A-L-N-A-P-P-E-R. If you're on Apple, just search Serial Napper. If you're on Spotify, and hey guys, you're going to want to get a Spotify account, right? Not only to follow me, but also listen to that great song. You don't need a premium for podcasting apps, though, so just search Serial Napper and I'll come up. I'm also on Twitter now. (laughs) It's growing very slowly. I'm tweeting my little heart out over there about anything true crime and spooky stuff. So if you're on Twitter, you can find me at twitter.com slash Serial underscore Napper. Until next time, don't be a Dahmer. Bye.